Well, today we're continuing our series, Not Enough, and I've been looking forward to this one for a while for a couple of reasons. Um, so today we're talking about purpose. And I, I, two reasons why I think this is, I've been looking forward to this. One, we've talked about money and time and love the last few weeks, which I think most people can experience or agree with. Okay, I feel like I don't have enough of that, or I've been, there's been a time in my life where I didn't have enough of that. But this one, I think everyone, has, everyone could say, I have felt purposeless, I have felt meaningless at some point. And so the question that we're beginning with this morning is, is that true for you? Do you ever feel like you don't have enough or any purpose, right? We've all been there. Uh, the probably I've been there multiple times. The biggest time in my life where I, where I felt it was if you've been part of New City for a while, you know my story. When I was 19, I, I lost my dad to a suicide. And I remember the months after that feeling pretty worthless, feeling like my life doesn't matter. Um, what am I supposed to do? How do you recover from something like this? And so that was a time where I felt like there is no, the purpose of my life, whatever it was supposed to be is gone. Right? So there have been multiple times for me, there's probably been times for you, the reality of the situation is there's probably some of us that are here today that are feeling pretty purposeless, feeling pretty meaningless, unless you think, you know what, I actually feel pretty good about that today. I want to read something in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that will also make all of us feel pretty worthless this morning as we begin, out of the kindness of my heart, so that we can all be on the same page. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you have a Bible, if you don't, then you can grab one of the black ones, uh, page 586 in there. And this was written by uh, King Solomon, who was one of the kings of Israel, the wisest man, Scripture says, had ever lived. He was also supremely wealthy. He had all the things in the world that the world would say, yes, you need that to have meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, you know that isn't true. He, he, he found all these things and did not find fulfillment in them. So he had all the money, the power, the women. He had whatever he wanted. And then he writes this book that, by the way, if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, it's not normally the book you go to to like pick a scripture to be like to feel good or to do some devotional on. Like normally it's like 1 John or one of the New Testament letters. Like if you're feeling down, I'm going to read this and make me feel good. And then you have like Leviticus, the one that nobody reads, you know, because it's like, what am I, I don't even know what that means. And then you have Ecclesiastes that just makes you feel awful um, if you're reading it. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to get us all on the same page out of the kindness of my heart to make us all feel worthless and meaningless, and then the good news will sound even better, okay? So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, here's what it says. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So Solomon, he says this. Absolute futility. Now, some translations say futility. Some translations say meaninglessness. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts? That he labors at under the sun. A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. So what he's saying, we live, we work, we're born, we do all these things, and we die, and then we're done, but the earth continues, life continues. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets, panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gushing to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, they, there they flow again. So he's saying the seasons come, the seasons go. The years come, the years go. What does it really matter? Because eventually we're all going to die. Nothing seems to change. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the hear, ear filled with hearing. And he knows something about not being satisfied because he has experienced all the things that are supposed to satisfy us and yet they didn't to him. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There might be new inventions and new technologies, but everything pretty much stays the same. How we feel, how we approach life stays the same. Verse 10, 
Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. And if you haven't already feel like, man, this is a bummer. Verse 11 caps it off. There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. In other words, what he's saying is that you and I will die and no one will remember us. And listen, we know this to be true because I bet none of us in here, and if you can, you are the exception, I bet none of us in here can actually name the names of one of your great-grandparents. And not only their names, if you can name all of them, can you, even, can you name what they did, where they lived, what they accomplished in their life, what jobs did they take? Like, we don't know anything about people that lived 100 years ago. And so if you're feeling pretty good this morning, just to make you feel even better, 150 years from now, it's not going to matter because you're going to be dead and whatever you did is going to be done, okay? And so, and we can go, and we can go further with this too. I mean, 150 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, what does it matter? That is what Solomon is saying here. And here's what's interesting. He uses this word hevel. So Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And this word that we translate as futility or meaninglessness is hevel. Now, there's not a really a great translation or English word that really describes what this word hevel is. And so the translators use a word that try to ca- encapsulate its meaning as best they can. But this word hevel is used 38 times throughout Ecclesiastes. And a more literal translation would be vapor or smoke. In other words, what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to do here is he's trying to show that life is like an enigma or it's like a paradox. It's like smoke, okay? So smoke appears solid, right? It's something that we can see. And you, it, it, smoke is something that you feel like you can touch and you can feel. But then when you go to grab it, what happens? You can't actually grab it. When you go to grab smoke, it leaves. You can't actually hold it in your hands. And so what he's trying to say, if you read all throughout Ecclesiastes, is that Solomon spends a lot of time talking about the ways that we try to find life and meaning and purpose apart from God. And what he is saying is all these things are hevel. All these things are meaningless. None of it will last. And here's the reality, whether or not you believe in God, you're not sure about, sure about this whole God thing or about this whole Jesus thing. The reality of the situation is, if God does not exist, life is ultimately heaven. Ultimately, none of it really does matter a thousand years from now, a million years from now. Nothing really matters if God does not exist. And that is what he's trying to tell us in Ecclesiastes, okay? So now that I've got us all bummed out, here's the good news. In light of all of that, here is the good news, okay? You ready? You do have a purpose. Okay, so we just read that apart from God, if we take God out of the picture, all these things that we strive for, all these things that we're working for, they ultimately leave us. They do not last forever. You and I also don't last forever in this life. And so in spite of that, we also need to know, however, that you do have a purpose. Why do you have a purpose? Because if God does exist, and as we see throughout scripture, that God actually does care for us and has purposes for our lives, right? Now, there's a bunch of places in Scripture that we can look. I'll just show you one real quick that you might be familiar with. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, for we are his workmanships, workmanship, talking about God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So what we see throughout Scripture is that it actually is not true that your life does not matter. Because of Christ and him coming, God actually has things for you to do. In other words, God actually does have a purpose for your life. Life. Now, this is important for us to understand, especially if you've been in church and been follower, follower of Jesus for a while. I think we see things like this or we hear things like this and we're like, yeah, I know, we're on to the next thing. But we need to take a second and understand what this actually means. This actually means you do have a purpose. And why do we need to know this or why do we need to be reminded of it? Because here's the reality of the situation. That just because we know something to be true, it doesn't mean we feel it 
to be true. And we talked about this last week when we talked about love and not feeling like we're not loved and how we saw this not true because God actually does love us. It's the same thing with purpose. We may not feel like we have any purpose. We may not feel like we know what our purpose is, but that does not mean that you do not have one. You see, what happens, especially in our culture today when it comes to purpose and destiny and calling, is like we have all this pressure that we have to do a certain thing or we're going to miss out on life or God's going to get going to be mad at us, or he's going to be disappointed in us, or we're going to somehow let him down. What we need to understand is that you do have a purpose. However, your purpose may be different than what you think. You do have a purpose. It may just be different than what you think. And a lot of times we think certain things are our calling, if you will, are our purpose, are things we're supposed to be doing. And because we're not doing them, we think we've missed out. We think we've disappointed God, and we feel like we have no purpose in life. The reality is you do have a purpose. It may just be different than you think. It may be different than you think, but it does not mean you do not have one. And so what I want to do is I want to read another passage in Jeremiah 29, if you want to flip there with me. And I want to read to you a brief part of a story uh, that shows people who probably felt like they did not have a purpose, but in fact, they had an extremely important one. So Jeremiah 29, uh, we are going to read Jeremiah 29, 11. If you're familiar with this verse, this is like the coffee mug Bible verse and everybody loves it. And after actually reading what it actually means, you may not want to do be a coffee mug with this person, with this verse, and I'll explain why. Okay, so here's what's happening. Uh, the Israelites, they're in Jerusalem, they're in Israel, they have dishonored God, they have fallen away from God, they've pursued their own things, and so God has allowed them to be captured by Babylon. So the king of Babylon has um, exported most of the Jewish people into the Babylonian empire. He's left a few of the Jewish people in Israel just to kind of keep it going and for upkeep, and there's a lot of Babylonians that live there now. And so Jeremiah is kind of the big prophet that's alive on the scene at this point in Israel's history. He is still in Jerusalem, and he's writing a letter to the exiled Israelites in Babylon, so where the majority of the Israelites live. And here's what he says. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. So what he's telling them there is don't kind of shrink back. Don't kind of get into your little bubble here. I want you to live and engage with the day-to-day -day life of the city of Babylon. And as Babylon does well, it will also go well for you. Now, he's probably saying this because they're being told not to do it. He says this, verse 8, For this is what the Lord of armies for the God of Israel says, don't let the prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. So there's probably some prophets on the scene or some self-proclaimed prophets that are saying, don't do this, kind of hide away, do your own thing, do not intermingle into society. And what Jeremiah is saying is that is not what God wants for you. God actually wants you to do this. And here's why, verse 10. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. And here's the verse that everybody loves. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That sounds great, right? Verse 12. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. 
And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Now, this sounds great. Like, be faithful, and everything that you want will happen. You will get all your fortune, your blessings back. You are restored to your land. But did you see what it said in verse 10? Verse 10, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years, but 70 years has passed. You know what that means? That probably the vast majority, if not all of the Israelites who were old enough to comprehend this message when they originally heard it, would not live to see the day that this happened. They would not live to see the day that this happened. So side note, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a promise to the Israelites, not to us, number one, but number two, they wouldn't see it happen. So I'm not trying to, I mean, just selfishly, like, I, I'm like, God, I want to see some stuff happen in my lifetime, okay? So I'm not trying to, you know, hope for things that aren't going to happen. And that's what he's saying there. He said, like, you will not see this happen. However, you still have a purpose. What was their purpose? Their purpose was to be faithful to God so that God would restore them back to Israel. So that one day, the Messiah, the King of the universe, Jesus, would come to make it possible for all of us to have life, to experience grace and forgiveness, and to be able to enter into God's kingdom when we die. And so that was their purpose. Now, they didn't feel like they had one, right? That seems pretty miserable. That does not seem very fun, but that does not mean they didn't have a purpose. They had a purpose. It just may have not been what they thought or what they wanted. And here's what this means for us. That being faithful to God's purposes doesn't always mean we see God's purposes. So being faithful where you are, we're going to talk about what this looks like in just a second, but being faithful where you are does not always mean you're going to see why God is doing what he's going to do. Now, I firmly believe without a shadow of a doubt, when we die, when we see God face to face, we're in his kingdom, we will see how God wove all the, even the pains and the hurts in our lives for our benefit and the benefit of others. I believe we'll have all these questions answered. But that does not mean in this life we will understand them all or we will see them all come to fruition. But that does not mean, again, that you do not have a purpose. And there will be things in your life, in my life, that we will never understand until we see Jesus. I'll give you one example for me. Um, So, you know, my wife and I, Christina, we got married. We lived in Wilmington. I was in seminary. We helped plant this church in Wilmington for a couple of years. And then we moved back to Raleigh um, after that. And I was looking for jobs and churches to kind of gain more experience because we knew we wanted to plant a church one day. But... That didn't happen. I couldn't get a job anywhere. It was, it was just random. So all, all these different so I ended up taking this job at Verizon, which by the way, I hate it. I did not like it at all. I love my coworkers. Like we had a really good time, but I just did not like the job. I didn't, I wasn't passionate about it. I was also kind of upset and bitter that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And I had no idea why. Like I used to think, God, what am I doing for these two years? Now, looking back on it, I, there are things that I learned and experienced that were good for me to be there. But if I'm being honest, if I'm just, just Dylan speaking here, if I'm just being honest, I still look back on that time and I'm like, God, are you sure? Like, wouldn't it have been way better for a new city's sake and for my sake to gain more experience doing what it is that I want to do with my life? Why am I doing something that doesn't seem to be meaningful at all? But that does not mean that we are not, that there is not something for you to do. That does not mean that there is a purpose that you may not see for where God is has you. So being faithful to your to God's promises and God's purposes in your life doesn't always mean we see God's purpose, but that does not mean we don't have a purpose, right? And if that's true, that we do have a purpose, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. We need to live out God's purposes in your life, in our lives. You need to live out God's purposes in your life. I'm going to talk about in a second what that means, but I just want to say this as we get into, as before we read this next passage here, that God has purposes in your life and you need to live them out. The question then becomes, what are God's purposes for my life? And then I would say, I'm so glad you asked. It's exactly what I prepared to talk about, okay? So Matthew chapter 22, it'll be on the screen, but you can also flip there if you want to. Jesus is going to answer this question. 
He's going to answer this question. What is our purpose? And what we're going to do is we're going to answer this question for ourselves on a macro level. So I'm going to talk about what all of our purpose is, all of our purposes are. And then on more of a micro level, what does this mean for you specifically? That's what we're going to look at. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus is with some religious leaders. And so first up, the Sadducees come by, which were a religious sect that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, among other things. And so they try to question Jesus and they try to trap him and he kind of answers their questions and they're all amazed. And then the Pharisees turn comes up and they're, they're going to try to trap Jesus. And here's what happens. When the Pharisees had heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. An expert in the law just meant he was probably one of the leaders. He probably had the entire Old Testament memorized, knew all the laws and all of the commands. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to trip up Jesus. Let's see if we can mess him up. Verse 36, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest. Now, the assumption here is probably all the laws are important, right? So cer certainly he's not going to point out one specifically because then that would kind of devalue some of the other laws. Here's how Jesus responds. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. So he actually answers the question. Verse 39, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So what he's actually saying is that all these laws actually were coherent. They were actually pointed to something. They were really saying, do this so that you may honor God and you may love other people that he has placed in your life so that they may experience the love and the grace of God. So here's what he's saying. Our purposes are to love God and to bring him glory. So the question then is, what does it look like for us to love God, when, especially when it comes to our purposes in life? So we'll say two things again, macro level, micro level. Here's the first thing the thing that we that applies to all of us. What does it mean to live, God purposes, God, live out God's purpose in your life? It means that you and I should honor him. Number one, that you and I should honor him. Now, here's the thing. I feel like we, we hear this a lot. We say this a lot. And so we're kind of like, okay, I get it. We move to the next thing. And I just want to like wait for a second. And just like this, what, here's what this means. This means, number one, that this takes all the pressure off of us all the pressure of us, because we have this thought in our mind that God wants me to pursue this certain career path or this job or marry this person or go to this school or to do this or have this amount of kids. And we often think that if I mess up, then I messed up God's purposes and plans for my life. And we just need to understand that all throughout scripture, we do not see that. What we see over and over and over again is God simply calling us to love him and to honor him in whatever season we are in which means that you can walk out of here today and be living God, God's purposes for you in your life today. Whether you're in a season of a, a job you don't like or you've got a bunch of kids running around or you're, you're not sure about your future or you're, you're experiencing a lot of pain, whatever you are, wherever you are in your life, you can live out God's purposes in your life today. And this takes the pressure off. And it also takes the pressure off because we, we talk so much about calling and purpose and desire and like doing, you know, doing the things that, that God wants us to do. And we feel guilty that, you know, maybe we, 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 got the, we got it wrong, right? We didn't go the right path or we made the wrong decision. We think the rest of our life is messed up. And what we need to know is that oftentimes the pressure we feel about living purpose, purposeless lives is not pressure that God has given us. It's pressure that we've given ourselves. Or it's pressure that we've let other people speak into our lives and told us we're supposed to do this and we didn't measure up. But you need to know that is not God. God is not saying that to you, that you better do this. And if you made the wrong decision 10 years ago, then your life is over. That what God is saying is no matter where you are, you can live out God's purpose in your life by honoring him. Now, you may not see how, you may not see the fruits of that in this life, like the Israelites, but that does not mean you do not have a purpose. So what he's telling us here is to honor him. Now, that's kind of macro level, how this applies to everybody. I want to spend a few minutes talking about how this applies to you, because I think us in the church, we often 
get this wrong in the sense that we feel like God is calling us to do a specific thing, and if we don't do it, then we've messed up on our purpose. Here's another way that you can honor God with the purposes in your life, you specifically, and that's this, by pursuing your passions. By pursuing your passions. One of the things that I found as I talked to people and I like asked them, like, what's, what do you want to, like, what's your dream? Like, what, what are some things you're interested in? A lot of times people are like embarrassed to say it. I think part of it is because we're embarrassed to tell somebody the things that we're passionate about and then laughing at us. But, I, but the other thing I think I've experienced is because I'm in ministry and I'm a pastor. And so when someone tells me what their passions are, if it's not full-time vocational ministry, like a, mini- like a missionary pastor, then somehow their desires aren't as good as mine. Like somehow God is more proud of people who are in vocational ministry than people who are not. And what we need to understand is that's just not true. That is just not true. What God wants us to do above everything else is to honor him where we are. I want to read a quote that I shared this summer when we were in the Ten Commandments, but I want to share it again because it's just so relevant and true to this topic. This is Eric Liddell. He, run, he ran uh, the 400 meters in the 1924 Olympics and won gold. You can actually YouTube his race and watch it. It's in black and white and there's no sound, but it's really cool. Um, he has a book called Chariots of Fire and a movie called Chariots of Fire that are, that are based on his life. Now, his, he's from Scotland and his family had, ran a mission in China. And so that was, he was going to be a missionary for the rest of his life. But a couple of years before the 1924 Olympics, he loved to run. He ran all the time. He won all these races. And so he wanted to train for the Olympics, but his older sister, Ginny, was upset with him. Basically, probably along the lines of people are dying, going to hell, and you're just going to spend time running. You need to move to China. You need to be a missionary. Now, how do you say no to that, right? Because that is the more spiritual answer. Here's how he responds. If you've seen the movie, I'm not sure if, when it actually took place in real life, but this conversation actually happened. In the movie, Jenny's kind of upset with him, telling him, no, you need to give up this running thing and come move to Scotland, stop wasting time. And so he grabs Jenny by the hands and he says, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. This is what he says to her. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up, would be to hold him in contempt. Look what he says here. You are right. It's not just fun. To win is to what? Honor him. What is the main thing God wants us to do in our life? Honor him. And this is why, to me, this is such a big deal, why we get this wrong so often. I'm going to say something, and I didn't get fired after first service, so I think I'm okay to say it this time. People often ask me, when when it comes to following our passions and desires, why am I in ministry? Why do we plant New City Church? You want to know the, the, main re- the real reason why? Yes, I felt God led me, and I'll explain what that means in a second and a little bit to this. But you want to know the main reason why I'm in ministry? Because I want to be. That, because I, I have a desire to do it. I remember a couple weeks ago, we were at this conference out of town, and we were eating lunch with uh, some guys from another church, and they were asking me, like, why Raleigh? Why this? And they kept asking me. I was like, look, this may not sound very spiritual to you, but the reason why I'm in church planning and we did church plan at Raleigh, all these things, is because I wanted to. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, that, this, so often, especially in ministry, people, we have this thing where people say they feel called to ministry. And I just want us to know, like, that isn't really a thing. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been called into ministry. It may look different than certain people in certain stages of life, but there is no, you know, I've been called into ministry vocationally, and therefore I'm somehow God's more proud of me, or I'm, I'm more holy than you. That is not true. If you are a follower of Christ, you are in ministry. It just looks different based on your context, right? God has called all of us to love and honor him, and you can honor him in the midst of your passions. I, I realized this about three or four months ago. I don't know what I was doing, but I, when I first realized it, like I was literally sitting there and I got goosebumps. I used to always tell the story of like, okay, so why am I in ministry? Why did New City Church come to exist? And I always told it this way. 
I grew up in the church, never, ministry was never a desire of mine, wasn't against it, wasn't something I wanted to do. And then, you know, the, the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I lose my dad to a suicide, extremely difficult. A couple days later, I speak at his uh, funeral, and I only, it was like five minutes, it wasn't long at all. One of my friends comes up after the, the service and he like gives me a hug, and he's like, Dylan, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I thought, and I've shared this before, I thought, well, um, I didn't say this to him, but I'm like, well, I don't think so. It's my dad's funeral, so it doesn't mean I'm a good communicator. Just the weight of the situation, people are going to listen to me. And then a couple, <clears throat> and then a couple of weeks after that, I was at home, and I thought maybe, maybe I'm going to be, in, maybe I'm, a, maybe I am interested in the, this ministry thing. Maybe this is something God wants me to do. And that's how I always told the story. That is not actually what happened. That is an incomplete story. Here's what happened. I was a music major, so I took classes, you know, all freshman year. And as a music major, you don't always have time to take all the classes that you need. So I, was, I signed up for summer courses so I could catch back up, um, to, you know, for the credit hours so I could graduate on time. So I took a philosophy course the first summer session. I only took a philosophy course because in a liberal arts degree, you know, you have to take a discipline of every single, of every single or a course of every single discipline. The only reason I took it <clears throat> because it was available, I had to take it. I take this course, I shared this last week or two weeks ago, and I loved it. Oh my gosh, I love reason and logic and arguing. And I was like, this is amazing. I was taught by a professor who was an atheist who did not like Jesus. It was very challenging, but I was like, this is awesome. Like I could spend, like I was doing homework outside of the normal homework because I enjoyed it. And then my father passes away and then his funeral happened. And then I feel like this could be the thing that I want to do. So I email my professors, like, can you get me into these courses? But I always thought, what if I hadn't taken that philosophy course? What if I had it? Now, I know God and his provision and his providence, you know, whatever made it happen, whatever. But I think God and his provision, here's what I think God did. He showed me what I enjoyed. And then I felt led to do it. Why? Because I desired it. Doesn't mean ministry is always easy for me. Doesn't mean it's always fun. There are discouraging things, absolutely. But there's nothing else that I would rather do than what I get to do, which is a, it's an honor that I'm allowed to do what I get to do. And I'm not saying that this means you need to change your job. But here's what I am saying. That I'm here today because I enjoy doing it. And I believe that brings glory to God. I believe, I don't have a verse to back this up, but I fully believe that when we delight in the things that God created us to delight in, it brings him joy as it brings us joy. One more example, and then we'll keep going. Um, I, like I said, I grew up in the church, and so my parents were really involved. And so oftentimes, after events and stuff, we would stay late. They would be talking, and me and my friends would be running around and having a good time. Some of my best and fondest memories are running around the church. It was always a lot of fun. And now that Finley, my oldest, my three-and-a-half-year-old, <clears throat> is getting a little older, now that when we have events and stuff that take place here, one of the things, and this may sound cheesy, that delights my soul more than anything in this life is seeing her run around and scream with her friends after we have events. Why? Because I know how much I enjoyed it, but also because whenever, if you have a son or daughter, if you have a child, you know this to be true, and if you don't, it's really easy to imagine. No matter what you personally may be going through, there is nothing like seeing one of your children happy. There is nothing like seeing them joyful and doing something that they enjoy and they delight in doing. And as they do that, it brings you delight. And when it comes to our purposes, specifically when it comes to our passions, you do not need to feel guilty about what they are and pursuing them, even if they aren't some ministry, missionary, solve cancer, end, end poverty, that sort of thing. Like, even if that's not that, you should still pursue it. Like, recently I was talking to a guy at our church who wants to do daily trading. Is that what it's called? I forget. I already forget. Not, inv not insider trading, because that is illegal. Like, investor trading, something like that, <coughs> where you're trading, you know, throughout the day. And they're saying this, and I was like, this is incredible. And he was like, and, and because that's a passion of his, him and his wife are now currently on the path to try to make that happen to so where he can quit his job that he hates to do something that he enjoys. And he was saying, I wanted to do this years ago, but my, pa but my reasons for it were wrong, and I just want to get rich. And now, like, if it actually works out, I can be more generous, and I can do this, and I'm really excited. And to that, I would be like, do it. 
absolutely do it because I firmly believe when we do the things that God delighted us to do, it brings him joy if we're honoring him. So you can be in ministry like me, and you can not honor God in that. You can be in it for yourself and for your own name. That, that does not bring God honor and glory. It's not so much what you're doing. It's why you're doing what you're doing, and are you honoring God in that? So if you have a passion, whether it's a, something that you can do for a job or a hobby, whatever that is, you just need to know you have my permission, your pastor's permission, not that you need it, to not be ashamed about that but to pursue it because I firmly believe when you pursue, when you do the things God has created you to delight in, it brings him delight. It brings him delight. So here's the deal. Here's why we need to uh, honor God and pursue his purposes for our life. Because his purposes are greater than anything you can imagine. See, God's purposes are greater than anything you can imagine, even if you can't see them, right? So a lot of things we're not going to be able to see in this life, but they're still greater. And I want to clarify, too, real quick what we mean by greater. One time, about a year and a half ago, I was talking with my friend and who had a daughter, and him and his wife were saying that they believe God told them that her, their daughter was going to do great things, which that's great. That's awesome. I'm not saying it didn't happen. That's awesome. And he starts to describe what, what he meant by great. And he said she's going to be a worship leader, not just at a local church, but like travel the world international. And, and they're talking about these things. And I, I began to honestly be heartbroken for them as they explained this. And it's not because that's not a good thing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, having that desire. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But they were equating greatness with huge numerical impact, as if impacting 10 people instead of 10 million people wasn't as great. And so we need to understand that when we talk about greatness and God's greatness, it's not the same. What we think is greatness is not necessarily what he says is greatness. Here's what he says is greatness. This is the last passage we'll look at, Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> his disciples are arguing, James and John, two of his disciples are arguing with Jesus about who should, that they should be the ones that sit at his right and left hand in glory. They wanted to be the ones that are in front of everybody that were receiving the recognition. Some of the other disciples hear about this, and so they're upset. They start arguing, and then here's what Jesus says, verse 42 of Mark chapter 10. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, those, that is those that do not know God, lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So hear me. Greatness for you may mean impacting lots of people numerically. That may be it. Maybe not. Most of us, that is not going to be our story. But greatness for you could be raising your kids to honor and love Jesus. Greatness for you could be pursuing a passion, whether that's vocationally or a hobby or a project. Greatness for you could be using your pain to make a difference. So oftentimes, too, if, we, if we've experienced deep pain and deep hurt in our life, whether it's self-inflicted or it happened to us and we couldn't help it, a lot of times we feel like we're damaged goods, right? We feel like God can't really use us because of what's happening. And I just want to say to that, that you have no idea. If you've been through something difficult that you think marks and scars you for life, you have no idea how God might use that. Recently, a couple weeks ago, I was meeting with a guy who the week before had unsuccessfully attempted suicide. Unsuccessfully attempted suicide. And he's talking about stuff that he had gone through, what his life was like. And I basically told him this. I was like, not because I'm saying some great thing. I think God wants, I was like, I just think God wants you to know this. And I think God wants all of us to know this if you've been through something difficult that you just don't know. You have no idea how God might use your pain and your grief to encourage and love other people. And you may not even see it until on, on this side of heaven. You may never see it in this life, how God has used your pain. Some of us, and some of you, I know this isn't fun, but the reality is your purpose in life may be to suffer well. Your purpose may be to suffer well, to give God glory and to honor him so that other people can experience his goodness. 
that is what we're, that's what we see here. No matter, again, if it's a passion, if it's a pain point, if it's something you're interested in, you can honor God right where you are. It doesn't have to look like this big successful thing that we often talk about in life. And here's the bottom line, and then we'll close, and that's this. Here's what basically what I want us to know, and this sounds kind of cheesy, but it's true, and you'll remember it, so here we go, okay? Um, if you are not dead, God is not done. What we need to know, especially when it comes to our purposes in life, whether we can see them or not, that if you are not dead, God is not done. And just like in Jeremiah 29 that we read, you may never see in this life the meaning of why God allowed you to go through certain things or why you're in this dead-end job or why you didn't catch the breaks that your friends caught. And you may have no idea why God allowed or made you go through the things that you were going through. But what we need to remember is that if you are not dead, God is not done. You have no idea how he may use you. And here's how the gospel speaks to this, okay? Here's how the gospel speaks to this, that if Jesus had not come, if God had not, in his grace, did not give us meaning and purpose in life, then our lives would be, like it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, hevel. Our lives would be futile, our lives would be meaningless, but God, who is rich in mercy, sent Christ to give his life for us. Why? What we say oftentimes at New City Church, that because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. Oftentimes we feel purposeless because we feel that we have not measured up to other people's expectations. But the reality is God, king of the universe, his expectations matter a lot more than anyone here whose lives will not last forever. And what he's simply saying is that you can come and receive my love and I have things planned for you, not to, not so that you do them so that I will love you more, but you do them in response to the love I've given you so that other people can also experience the grace and mercy of Jesus. Again, if you are not dead, God is not done. And the good news of the gospel is that God can and use our pain. God can and use anyone to advance his purposes, advance his kingdom. Even if in this life we do not see it, it does not mean you don't have a purpose. It does not mean you do not have, that you do not matter. God's purposes are different and greater than ours. And if we honor and follow him, I believe one day in glory we will see Jesus and we will look back and we will be amazed at the goodness and grace of him. And that is all possible because of the grace that he gave us in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you for the gospel that you gave us hope. That if apart from you, there would be no hope. Apart from you, life actually would be meaningless because nothing we do will last forever. And no one will remember us 100 years from now. No one will remember us 200 years from now. Nothing we do will really matter except if we loved you and if we loved others. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of our purpose in life, is that you made, us po you made it possible to have a, for us, all of us, to have a purpose, whether or not we are changing the world, or whether or not we're changing diapers, whether or not we're changing the world, or whether or not we're changing classes like I did, that you, God, have given us a purpose and a desire, even if we can't see it, we can know and trust that you care for us and that we matter. And my prayer this morning is that all of us would know that you are good, that we know because of the sacrifice of Jesus that there is hope, that if we would follow and trust in you, that your purposes are greater than anything we can imagine. They may be different. We may not see them, but we can trust and know that they are great. So God, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for your love.